January at the movies was a month of Oscar darlings with one big loud musical remake interrupting it all in the middle. But Tom, as we get kicked off here, on our first ever January at the movies, well again, like we're, it, it, it's going to be different every month. It's not going to be January at the movies every month, it's going to be February. <laughs> January at the movies, the February edition. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, February. Um, no, it's going to be uh, rolling, but yeah, as we get kicked off here... On the first of our At The Movies series. It's a new show. We're still figuring out how to say stuff. Uh, Tom Pod of uh, the Popcorn Pod. What Oscar winner would you like to see remade in the form of a musical? And how would that look? That's really tough because it, it's one you you think about like a lot. I actually think about it more. I, I was going to say it's one you think about a lot. And then I'm like, no, most people don't, Tom. That's just you. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm just like, wow, that could be a musical. Um, I'm just thinking Silence of the Lambs. Ooh. That was the first one that came to my head. So, like, first of all, you could have a really creepy kind of sound of, of him kind of going, like, remix a bit of that. Get that in there. Have the Hannibal Lecter dancers, okay? <laughs> and then you're going to get all of that, right? Amazing. And first of all, he's going to be dancing in a rotating, like, Pyrex box nice. on the stage. That's what I'm picturing in my head, right? Yeah. And then everyone's like, man, it's coming up to, like, the halfway point here. They really need to hook us into the second half. What's going to happen? Buffalo Bill. Goodbye, horses. <laughs> My God, the, uh, no one in that audience is not coming back having seen that. You know what I mean? Yeah. You get yeah. all of that in there. It's just, <laughs> it, it would be, do you know what? I'm actually just, I, I, I thought about this enough that I was actually disappointed it's not a thing already. Maybe it is. Maybe some weird college has tried it out. But for me, it's like, man, that's just a layup. You know, Look, <laughs> come did- on. This is what we're going to use this show for mainly. It's going to be our movie pitches that we're too lazy to write and build ourselves. But if someone does it, we're looking for 10%. Look, documented oh, yeah, evidence yeah, yeah. that we call this. Another no, I'm, one I'm, that... I'm encouraging people to make it, but also I'm like, oh, get my lawyer on the phone, everybody. <laughs> yeah, please make it so I can sue you. Uh, another one that I plan to take litigation against when this gets made, because it's just irresistible, is The Shape of Water. It's got everything you need here, okay? It's got evil US soldier soldiers. It's got a kooky next-door neighbor in the closeted Giles who can have a kind of big emotional number after he gets rejected by the barista. Uh, you've, I'm thinking like there's going to be like a tug-of-war scene uh, of sorts with our heroes, the US scientists and the amphibian man. And like it, it writes itself. Think of the amphibian man. That is a song title right there. It, it sounds like something you'd see performed as a best song nominee in the Oscars. And you can even bring in some like mainstream appeal like bringing some covers and stuff like that in a glee kind of way like during the first like sex scene if you haven't seen it already uh, uh you there's been enough time okay a woman has sex with a fish all right and during the first six sex scene you can have like akon and david Guetta. and this song just came straight to my head and it's like damn use a sexy fish a sexy fish <laughs> <laughs> it writes itself uh, no there are challenges like the main character is mute which admittedly not great for a musical setup but like again and the other main character is a fish which doesn't speak so there are challenges here i'm not saying that it's a perfect fully formed idea but that's not my problem that's for whoever wants to make it and then pay me royalties for the idea um so yeah they're they're the ones we got and guys i actually i need to jump in and drop our first bombshell of the episode ever there is a silence of the lambs musical Oh, dun, dun, dun. <laughs> silence the musical a 2005 musical my goodness um it won some awards some musical numbers include i'd fuck me catherine <laughs> dies today put the fucking lotion in the basket and of course who could forget if i could smell her cunt 
Um, <laughs> um, so yeah, I I don't know why we haven't all heard of this one. Um, <laughs> I I don't um, remember anyway. those quotes from the movie. I think they've gone rogue a little bit. On Maybe the yeah, 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 yeah. That's that feels anyway. uh, plagiaristic. Oh, yeah, please don't sue me. I take back everything I said. Don't sue me, please. Take I the ten percent. You're fine. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, you're very welcome to At The Movies, uh, January At The Movies in this case. And guys, for anyone who's listening in for the first time, which is everyone listening, because it's a brand new show, just explain what you can expect. Because if you listened to the uh, season one finale of the Page 180 podcast, I spoke about how I wanted to make the show more conversational, focusing on the chats and banter that make a podcast great. Because a lot of the times when I've been discussing movies, I've been doing solo reviews and stuff like that. And I want to make it more of a podcast feel. Um, And again, I have just the right person in, in Tom here who loves discussing movies just as I do. So what we're going to do is rather than every week having movie reviews of everything that I've seen, once a month we're going to get together and discuss the movies that both of us have watched uh, as well as some of our other thoughts about all things kind of Hollywood or movies in general. Like there can be additional reviews. There can be if there's movie news or a trailer we want to discuss, we'll make space for discussing it all. Uh, we also have a section at the end where we're going to get into rants or maybe spoilers uh, filled discussion uh, if there's movies out that we want to discuss the Oscar we're in Oscar season right now so that stuff again kind of writes itself um, but that's going to be what it is the run of the mill and it is like kind of a, a, the first we did a 2023 at the movies podcast but that was more a recap show uh, this is the first of a running series that we're going to be back on and as with any new podcast we're going to get new ideas we're going to play with the format and we're going to see what works and what doesn't work so we always appreciate your feedback so if you want to get in touch with the page 180 uh, socials on Instagram t- TikTok, if you want to get in touch with myself on Twitter or Threads, Tom, you can get in touch with that PopCup pod pretty much everywhere on all socials. Um, so a- any thoughts you have or, or what you're enjoying or what you want to see more or less of, we're more than open to the feedback. But Tom, I'm ready to talk about some movies. I'm ready to talk about some new releases. How about you? Hell yeah. I mean, can we talk about how weird January is as a movie season in general first? That be yes, okay? go for it. So like if you're a lot of our culture is obviously coming from America when it talk, comes to movies. We see that kind of discourse online. January is famously known as by a lot of people as "fu." It's January because it is the dumping ground, often, for movies they don't know what to do with. Movies are like I don't know, it, it's crap, but people might see it. You know, they, the the movies are cinemas are kind of empty a little bit. Yeah. But what's even weirder is that in an Irish context. We also get all these like Oscar nominees. So it's like it's like the highest of highs and the lowest of lows in January, which is always fascinating to me. So I'm really excited to talk January movies because of that. What a month to start it. So let's get on with it, guys. Let's talk some movies. time and every time on the at the movie show we're gonna get you started we're not gonna hold you on and, and like other shows would and create some tension we're gonna get right to it and we're gonna discuss the best movies we've seen this month and guys for for kind of full clarity similar to what we did in our 2023 at the movie show uh just before christmas we don't know what the others put because that's more fun that way. So we don't know what the others going to talk about. We don't know. We haven't shared our thoughts on the various movies we're going to discuss. Uh, so Tom, I've no idea what's coming up. We'll start with you. What is your movie of the month for January? And again, just full clarity on this as well. Um, 
it's movies that are released or like have been screened on a wide scale um, in the month of January. So movies you can see coming off this. We don't want to do anything that we've seen like sneak previews or we've got like kind of uh, screeners. He says as if he gets screeners <laughs> for, uh, but maybe one day. Um, we don't want to be that kind of frustrating show. It's stuff you can see. Tom, what's your movie of the month? Well, it's good that you put that disclaimer in there as well because this was also my movie of last year, but it did not come out in Ireland. I saw it in a film festival. And that is, to say, my favourite film of January, Four Things. Yes! Okay, yes, love it. <laughs> Go for it. What, what did you like about Four Things? Oh my God, I mean, this feels like one of those movies where when you see it, you're like, this is the movie I've wanted. This is the movie I like to think I would make. Um, It is weird. It is surreal. It is actually has a bit of life philosophy to it in a really weird way. And I think it kind of encapsulates life in a strange way where it's like, oh, learning about the the beauty and innocence of the world, people being corrupted. And then the horrid reality of some parts of our life as well is thrown in there for good measure. And I say all that and it sounds really heavy and pretentious. It is also one of the funniest films I've seen this year Um, and last year even, I suppose, as well. It was just so twisted, but kind of hilarious. And what is so fun is that seeing this with an audience is such an experience because I had moments of people gasping, of laughing, of uncomfortable, like, oh, what do we do with it? Like, I like just questioning of themselves. Yeah. The performances are amazing in it. Um, Willem Dafoe is like, can always just serve whenever he needs to. He always just, he, he just nails weirdness. I don't know what it is about him. Mm. Um, then we have uh, Mark Ruffalo, who is someone who like, it sounds kind of disrespectful, but sometimes you forget how good of an actor he is because he just picks random projects or like, you know, the Hulk. And he's obviously good as the Hulk, but he often doesn't get to show range of the Hulk because it's like, now, when you're angry, you're the Hulk. When you're not angry, just be chill because people don't want to be confused about your emotions. Um, but in this, he's so hilarious as this kind of smug, snobbish character. Duncan Weatherburn, um, yeah. love it. And then Emma Stone in this is outstanding. I mean... What a what an amazing chance for her as an actor to just have such range because seeing this character develop over the course of the film is what makes it so amazing. And I, that's what I love. It feels like we're watching a character change so much over time. And that's something I always love about a film. But normally it's like set in stone. It's like the character is this way. They're going to be this way by the end. And you can kind of predict an arc as a result of that. Mm. This, it's like, I don't know where this character is going because the character was such a blank slate at the beginning. Uh, the cinematography is really mesmerizing and strange. Um, I thought the production and set design was outstanding. I love the score. It is so weird. And it's even weirder when it gets stuck in your head in like normal situations where you think feel like you're on an acid trip or something. Like if you're just walking down the street and you're like, dum, 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 and you're like, oh my God, help, help. I need an adult. Um, <laughs> yeah, I just, I just think it's a really strange film um, that is, I, I, you know, I'm going to call it original even though it is inspired by a book. Um, it is... It feels like a film we don't get very often uh, because of how weird it is. And I think it, in that way, it should be cherished. I love it. And it's also one of those films that if someone was like, I don't love it at all, I'd be like, that's fair enough, actually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, what I loved about this and and yeah, the word I use to describe this is weird. And what I'm loving here is because I'm a big frequenter of screen four in the Lighthouse Cinema. And that's kind of the... That's the weird screen where you're kind of transported into the inner recesses of some absolute weirdo's brain and you don't know what you're going to see. I love going to see a movie. Now, this wasn't the case with Poor Things, but I love this kind of cinema where I love going to see a movie where I just know 
I've heard somewhere that the movie's good and then it's just absolutely bonkers and I kind of leave like, what have I just watched? But they tend to be very niche. But with this and the likes of Saltburn, which since we last spoke was released on Amazon Prime and took over the world at Christmas um, with I think everyone and their mother watching it, it feels like weird cinema is kind of back in the mainstream and I love it. Jorgis Landamos, who directed one of my favorite movies of the past few years and the favorite. Um, and it's just the one that I just think about it so often. And I think it was 2017 or 18 it was released. Um, came back and picked up where he left off there for this absolutely madcap. I, I, I don't know how you'd even describe it, but I thought of adult fairy tale, like X-rated fairy yeah. tale it almost is. You know, you've got kind of Emma as the kind of, you know, childlike um, at least at the start, Bella Baxter. You've got uh the 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 mad scientist and Willem Dafoe. You've got the perverse and incredible Mark Ruffalo who stole this movie. Um, I thought he was just hilarious because it's just you never like you say, you, you never get to see Mark Ruffalo like this. Uh, it's the kind of movie I think that left me feeling mentally concussed as I left the cinema, trying to wonder what the fuck I just watched, but still thinking about the teams and the scenarios weeks later and you'd kind of like I, I I don't think it's kind of it's just weird at the start and I think it's Ruffalo who almost grounds it by adding kind of I don't want to say normal character because no one in this is normal you know what I mean that's not the type of movie that it is but it's someone grounded in reality even if it is a perverse reality and that kind of gives us the... That's when the movie starts to reveal its hand and it starts to show us kind of, oh, this is what they're talking about and so on. And much like The Favour, I think Lantamos gives the audience permission to kind of enjoy the rollicking time here while also being a bit disturbed and triggered by it all. And that's what I love the most about this, that it's inspiring debates. It is really splitting the audience, but it's inspiring debates about the audience. They're the movies that I love. Like, I think I took it as intended in that it's an exploration of kind of female, you know, sexual liberation and how the stigmas, shame and kind of self-inflicted boundaries that women experience uh, that kind of inhibit that freedom are a result of looking at the world and trying to fit in with society's expectations of them, which is something that Bella, because she's kind of uh, raised in this, you know, unique kind of life under kind of Willem Dafoe's mad scientist, she's unaware of. But again, I also feel that you can go into this and be disturbed by it and kind of go, is that a child? Or, like, it's what's going on here? And, and like, be disturbed and kind of concerned for her and worry through, throughout that we're almost at times asked to like and uh, support sexually depraved men. It's mm-hmm. like, I'd I, 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 I feel okay if you felt that way and it was really uncomfortable. Plus another benefit, again, this is something that Barbie did and now Poor Things is doing it. It's pissing off really toxic men who are taking it as a full frontal attack, uh, which is always fun. Um, And that's the kind of beauty of interpretive weird cinema that I love to kind of provoke us, to kind of knock us out of that formulaic slumber that we're kind of used to from watching so many typical Hollywood movies. Um, to get us talking and having these kind of discussions we normally wouldn't have and just kind of scratch the e like the thing I love about it is I kind of think of it as like you're scratching the itch of feelings that we've never been able to put words on previously until you see it acted out you're like oh yeah I've kind of thought that and I felt that way or I never thought about it that way Um, I love it I love the success of the likes of this and Saltburn and I hope that it emboldens more creators and studios to put money into these original bold projects because um, I think there's a lot to like there but great 
great coming right out of the bat with a great first pick. Mm-hmm. Fair play, Tom. Um, we'll get into my own because apparently I'm a bit of a World War II buff this month because for me, my movie of the month was a choice between two movies that movie in two different ways on similar subjects. And I'm going to sneak in and try and talk about both of them, but I will pick one, I promise. But the two similar subjects and the way they tackled them, even though they were in very different ways, were the zone of interest and one life. And like, obviously, look, I can't cheat. I can't pick two movies. So I'm going to go for the zone of interest as my January movie of the month, but I'm going to talk about both because I think both succeeded and why I liked them in very on Oscar season like ways of not being exploitative Oscar season like and when you watch these Oscar darling movies um they kind of revel in making us live in the misery of the moment of what are suffering um and when you see this in in World War II in particular you'll see like you think of Schindler's List and there's a lot of really difficult scenes like Sophie's Choice as well really difficult scenes that you have to watch people suffer and hammering home their messages in really effective ways but what I loved about both of these movies was that they chose to respect that the audience are going to know and understand the gravity at play in these situations and they kept the horrors for the most part off screen and they approached it in two completely different ways though like with one life which for anyone who hasn't seen it it's james hall's retelling of the story of nikki winton an almost kind of um british oscar schindler type who rescued hundreds of jewish children from prague before the nazi invasion um hall's chose to make this somehow really uplifting and emotional experience utilizing Anthony Hopkins spectacular talent for playing a kind of diddery old man who doesn't want to make a fuss and sent the audience home in tears like it's one of these movies the thing I've heard about it constantly is that people just need a moment in the cinema afterwards and I felt very much that way um but not in the way you'd expect with such a kind of heavy subject matter but zone of interest is my pick it's just a really eerie powerful experience unlike any other that I've seen in the cinema that's covered the Holocaust many many times it was released it's going to be released by the way previews were shown around Ireland over January that's why we're cheating and putting it in here but it is released this weekend widely um and it kind of looks at the life of Nazi commandant uh, Rudolf Haas and his family's life living next door to Auschwitz. Literally, you can see him leave his house and go to work. And then there's that unmistakable view of Auschwitz that we're just unfortunately all too familiar seeing. It's a movie about cognitive dissonance. We, we're never actually taken inside the camp itself beyond just one scene, which just focuses on Hoss witnessing the horrors at play. Instead, we focus on the mundanity and the ordinariness of their family's life. We're, while in every scene in the background, we can either hear or see the devastation being unleashed next door and how that either challenges or more disturbingly doesn't challenge the characters involved, which again is more unnerving where they're like, look at these flowers and you can hear people dying in the background. Uh, Sandra Huller continues her stellar work from Anatomy of a Fall. She plays Rudolph's wife, Hedwig, uh, who's the self-titled, horrible name that is aged horrifically, by the way, Queen of Auschwitz, um, who sees this as a kind of dream existence and everything that they've worked for in their lives while living in a home that we see at the start of the movie was actually owned by a Jewish family. And for me, 
what's most scary about Jonathan Glazer's depiction of the family is that they're never overtly portrayed as monsters. Like you do have Rudolph at times. There is a nod towards certain acts of perversion, but these occur for the most part off camera. And instead he's merely just an effective bureaucrat by day and loving father by night. And you have Huller's ability to show her, her mother around the gardens. She spends so much time per, uh, perfecting while ignoring the soundtrack of anguish screams in the background is absolutely unnerving. And what really hit me about that is the period that we live in right now, which, you know, to, to borrow a phrase that, that they get used widely about subjects like this, the banality of evil, um, because while there's like the period of history we're in right now, we're kind of worried about evil people taking over. Donald Trump is threatening to become a dictator with the most powerful country in the world and stuff like that as well, because there is value to showing us the horrors in Schindler's List or to showing us downfall and how deranged Hitler was and, and pure psychopathic uh, that he was. But for me, it's almost a lot scarier to think of your nice neighbor who could be capable of shrugging off the worst acts in the history of mankind because he might get a promotion or build a nice life for his wife and kids. I've read an interesting inter uh, review on this from the New York Times, which tore into it as self-aggrandizing. And look, I, I do get that. There are times where Glazer lets you sit in silence and spooky ambience for long periods of time with nothing but like a one stage at the start of the movie. It's just pure darkness for a long period of time. And then there's colors that hit the screen. They just let you think about it and reflect and so on um which again i could i could see how people will find that self indulgent uh you've got certain characters who can't ignore the screams and horrors and we see their moral language and acts of defiance portrayed in a kind of black and white thermal vision again it is very showy in that way it is very arty but for me while the new york times are entitled to their opinion i feel like it's one that the reviewer is going to revise in time as the quirks for me came across as really thoughtful uh, jabs to provoke the audience to reflect and take a beat on what they're seeing and think about everything that they've just seen what it means and I think that's where the film has its power. I also liked how Glazer leaned on some reality TV techniques and employing kind of steady cams throughout and then letting characters move and interact around the cameras which made it feel very real like you were watching Glazer quoted Big Brother in this you know it felt like you're watching the Big Brother house like they're just kind of living their lives and the cameras are just there omnipresent Um. And they didn't use, they used natural lighting as well. So it made the production feel really authentic throughout with and unflattering as well. Um, but it made you feel like you were there with these people and living in this horror. And of the two movies I discussed, One Life is probably the easier watch um of the two, and it'll have a higher ratio of audience leaving it satisfied and moved. But I also enjoy bold cinema and zone of interest for me swings a lot but it hits with its intent a lot. It's disturbing. It's jar a jarring cinema experience as any visit to Auschwitz should be, um, while also never needing to kind of needle the audience with horrific and kind of upsetting imagery to make its point. It was confident. It told the story as Glazer wanted it to be told. And for me, it hit home fully, but it is dividing audiences. So Tom, I know you've seen Zone of Interest too. What were your thoughts on it? That's, um, oh man, you've made it tough for me here. And I'll tell you why, because... Um, this is a film that I found challenging um, in a few ways. First of all, it was challenging in that it wasn't necessarily what I expected it to be. I think that's kind of a common complaint because you know it's based on a no novel by Martin Amos. And when you hear the story, you're kind of expecting certain things out of it, I think. And it's one that out of all the Oscar nominees, it's one that I need to see again because I feel like I didn't really 
I didn't really understand it in a certain way. Um, and, and again, I love that there is cinema out there that is challenging. I love that this is kind of a, a risk uh, comparative to so many kind of Holocaust stories. It's, it feels like something that, you know, first of all, it showed remarkable restraint, uh, as, you, as you've said, like, and, and that's incredibly important. But I was just kind of surprised at, I suppose, the lack of story. Uh, I didn't necessarily understand what it what it was trying to say, and I know that there is the obvious kind of idea of, you know, the banality of evil, as you said as well. To use the the kind of <laughs> to use the phrase, we can't escape when we're talking about a film like this, mm. uh, and kind of how I suppose you know, quote unquote, regular people can kind of act uh, in times of trauma or when horrible things are happening, and how you know, I suppose to a certain degree, maybe you know, the idea that this sort of reality or this kind of evil isn't something that people just you know kind of can just not fall into i suppose to a certain degree and and go about and how would you react if you were in a situation like i think i just found there was a real kind of lack of urgency to it um and a lack of i don't want to say a lack of progression but it felt to me like it was just letting you soak in the atmosphere and that was certainly horrifying i mean uh i saw this nominated for one of the categories for sounds in the oscars and as soon as i heard that i was like of course it is yeah. like the sound in it is horrifying like we were genuinely there was times where i was sitting in the center and i was like am i hearing something in my head uh, am i am i hearing something in the screen next door to me or is it actually something as horrifying as what's going on over the the garden wall uh, mm. uh so to say uh in the film but i also just didn't fully uh, it's it's hard to put into words i like i i love a film like this because it is challenging it's viewer uh it's not the easy story that it could be of this is the person who lived next to auschwitz Here's how horrible Auschwitz is. Look, you know, he's there's a lot of interesting restraint and choices that Jonathan Glazer has made here. Um, but I didn't, I mean, it's strange to say I didn't love it because that's, mm. you know, I don't think you can necessarily love a film like yeah. this. It's more that you can appreciate it and really like it. I think it's a film that's going to be studied a lot in, you know, in film studies courses and possibly even maybe on the leaving mm. here in Ireland and things like that. But it's one that I still am not sure where I land on it. Mm. Um, there's so many things I found very remarkable. I thought there were some very interesting creative choices, especially towards the ending without saying too much. But I feel like there wasn't necessarily any kind of driving urge to tell this story. There wasn't anything that I learned coming out of it. There wasn't really anything that I feel I had a better understanding of, aside from the nature of evil. And I think that's something that's kind of hard <laughs> to grapple with um and i don't feel i necessarily got something new out of it yeah but again it's probably out of all the Oscars. i think there's only one oscar nominee i haven't seen now of all of these that i'm going to probably be talking about endlessly on, on other podcasts and here as well this is probably the only one that i have to rewatch because i'm still not entirely sure how it sits with me and i think yeah. that's important i think that's kind of the point of the film how how does it how do people react to this how should you feel about this and i feel like i'm still kind of grappling with it and that yeah. says something about uh the complexity of the film, if nothing else. So yeah, I'm still kind of unsure, but it's definitely one, like I put it on my list as, as one we should probably discuss because it is something that definitely needs a discussion, whether you fall on the side of the New York Times or, you know, the side of the Oscars. I think it's a very important discussion that should be had about this film. Yeah, I agree. And and, and like I said, I've more, I, I don't mind a film that swings and, and doesn't hit everything or for everyone, I, like again, but I do like the bold storytelling choices that they made here. But I absolutely see how it could land flat. Like for me, when I was watching it, I was like, there needs to be a moment of catharsis here. And I'm not going to get into plot details, but it never does give you that. You know what I mean? In the same way, you look at Chinders this and it's horrific, but 
you know, they're, they're not a happy ending. You know what I mean? There's almost a bittersweet ending. There's some, there there's is, some optimism to it. Yeah, there's optimism. This, yeah. And there's, you, 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 whereas this just puts you sitting with evil and never lets up and never gives you that catharsis there. So I absolutely see for me how initially that felt unsatisfying, but the more I sat with it, the more, again, you're not going to love this movie but you, I admire it. You know what I mean. I'm yeah. just like it's an important movie, and there I think the movies that we should kind of call yeah. out in in Oscar season. Yeah. And movies I would that... say even like even that aside, there's like scenes with this movie already that have really stuck with me in my yeah. head that I don't think are going to be quick to leave. Yeah, that really did capture the horrifying nature of the Holocaust. And again, I, considering you know the state of the world right now, that's something definitely worth highlighting. Yeah. Um, with some of the people around but anyway sorry to cut you off no 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 very very true let's take a total tone shift and let's discuss uh, some of the other movies that we've seen and uh, let's let's ease it back up let's talk Mean Girls um, because the complete opposite of the zone of interest because a lot of us were really kind of confused when it was announced that Tina Fey would be kind of rebooting her beloved Naughty's comedy Mean Girls with an adaptation of the musical which is based on the movie so the question really was going into that could it justify itself? And for me, I watched it and there was a lot to like in this. I thought it was it was quite a fun experience. Tina Fey and Tim Meadows being back, even if they're kind of just repeating the same jokes they made 20 years ago. But again, they're so funny and nice and likable that you, you can't be mad. Um, I thought some of the recasts were really good. Like for me, uh, John Hamm kind of embracing his inner Ryan Gosling, where it's like, I do comedy now. I thought that was perfect as the kind of pedophilic PE teacher. There were other bits that didn't land for me, like Jenna Fisher being the... um you know, the behind the times mom, that's crazy for me. Um, She's still quite young in my eyes. And then you've got Mahia Lam who comes across as kind of doing a really poor Rajiv Susendra impersonation as the head Matlit. And it's just like, I don't get who you are. I don't get why you fit in 2024. Um, I don't get why your character is. But I did like it a lot. I thought some of the songs were really fun, particularly I like the Halloween viral TikTok where my favorite line was, I can be a doctor and cure some sexy cancer. Um, so that's the tone that you're going for here. And Tina Fey knows how to, she knows she knows how to get a laugh. Do you know what I mean? So again, you, you're going to get a laugh out of some of the things here. Um, And the floor is going to be high and it's going to be a fun couple hours of the movies. I'd like to have seen a bit more bite and direction though to really understand why they wanted to bring what's essentially a really recent movie back into the cinema uh, like rather than just re-watch it was it a kind of piss take of the old one was it an update uh, to ask what it would be like in 2024 or was it kind of a balls to the wall musical and they tried to do all of the above in different ways but didn't really commit to any so it doesn't fully succeed at any either I think it's one that fans of me and girls are going to love and they can feel justified into it it's essentially both bonus content that isn't terrible which is what you want when a movie you love gets remade um but I, i'll probably never watch this again because there's just so many alternatives that could be better like if i'm looking for the best modern high school comedy i'll watch bottoms uh, again that was absolutely phenomenal if i want a proper remake of a classic that i kind of enjoyed when i was kind of a teenager coming of age uh, of, along similar themes it's not a movie but a tv show i'll watch the saved by the bell reboot i think that's excellent very underrated needs to be talked out more and if i want to watch mean girls i can literally just watch the original and it is a better movie but it didn't fail it didn't suck for me tom what were your thoughts on mean girls yeah, I would kind of land in a very similar camp, I would say. Um, again, I think we all had the same idea of like, why are they doing this? 
And then it was like, oh, it's because it's a musical. Oh, why are they hiding the fact it's a musical? <laughs> um, which was kind of weird. And it is very strange because, as you say, like Mean Girls is uh, a very uh, comparatively a recent movie. Um, and it's also the case where the musical is very, the musical does only open on Broadway like six years ago. And normally when we see a Broadway film uh, or, or musical adapted into film, it's at the end of its run. So I think there was a lot of kind of head scratching about this and like it was meant to go to streaming originally and I I think that's one criticism I think it kind of shows um it does just unfortunately seem a little cheap at times um I didn't think the the choreography or the staging of the musical numbers was that impressive it felt a little bit flat at times but I will still say it was a lot better than I expected it to be um what absolutely saves this is the cast which I mean, they had an unenviable job doing this. Like, I mean, that cast of two, of the 2004 one, they're iconic now. And they're, in fact, they're full of Oscar nominees at this point as well and, and winners as well, you know? So it's like, or maybe winners, I don't know. I can't remember the Oscars. Who remembers the Oscars the year after that? Let's be honest. <laughs> but like, um, you know, Angori Rice's Katie Heron, I thought she did a really good job of kind of showing uh, kind of, I suppose, the corruption of Katie, possibly even better than Lowen. I thought Renee Rapp as Regina was just a star. Like she yeah. is going places. It was really impressive. And... Another person who was sneaky good, I thought Avantika as um as uh, Karen was really hilarious. Yeah. Where my eyes are just like, what is what's going on there? What is, what is she doing? And it's just hilarious. Like, um, the music I thought again hit or miss. There was maybe two songs I liked. Um, I liked the Halloween sexy song, which is what you were on about as well, and I also really liked um uh God what uh, Janice's song. Kind of raise your right finger or whatever it was uh with uh ollie carvalho uh sang which was really good aside from that you know i was going to say exactly what you said which is will i ever watch it again probably not but if someone was like i haven't seen it and i like mean girls yeah i should check it out but again it's not as funny as the original the songs aren't going to be as catchy as most musicals but you know as a fun little diversion it's it's not bad it's a lot better than it could be i would say if you're looking for something to watch you couldn't go far wrong watching it once at least I think a movie that we're definitely going to be watching again. Um, I really enjoyed this, but I want to get your thoughts on it. Is the holdovers? Um, which just before you get into it, I would have really liked to watch a Christmas <laughs> because it's a Christmas movie, and for whatever reason, we had to watch it in January with the release schedule over here. Um, at exactly the point that we want to stop thinking about Christmas. But that's not the movie's fault. That's marketing and everything else that comes with it. So, um, Tom, I want to check in with yourself and I want to get your thoughts on the, on the holdovers. How did you find it? Yes, you did have to watch it in the post-Christmas season, but I got to see it before Christmas. Are you bastard? <laughs> <laughs> the film festival, I was lucky enough to, to see it. Uh, the Cork Film Festival showed it in like end of November. Nice. Yeah, um... Uh, do you know what I saw I've seen it twice though I watched it when it came out again it is such a joy to watch man yeah. Um, like it's a film that made me nostalgic for a time I was never in you know and yeah. <laughs> had such a classic rich 70s-ness to it you know Um, the performances are so good especially from that trio Um, I mean this is probably the best Paul Giamatti role of his career and I mean considering it's Paul Giamatti that's really impressive Uh, Devine Joy Randolph was outstanding as well I mean that's a character that like when I was watching it, I was like, oh, I guess she's a main character at the start. Mm -hmm. And then she really sucks you in. There's a few scenes, especially after a, a kind of Christmas party. That's just so, so outstanding. We're like, ah, oh, there we go. That's our nomination yeah. right there. Uh, Dominic Sessa, uh, just 
total unknown what a great find i was like this must be a guy who's got a million credits i've never seen no he's just this is his first film role from from what i'm reading it's like yeah. amazing i i don't know and i i know the criticisms of it and i think what's really good is when i when i saw this first in november i can't i can't remember it was either out in america just about or it was like having a slow rollout and there was kind of a bit of a backlash there into it people were like oh it's very simple it's very obvious and i was like hmm that's kind of a shame and i watched it and i was like there that's certainly a case but like i was still so engrossed in these characters this feels like a real situation it feels like these characters are real and watching them grow and develop is so rewarding and interesting um and considering the fact that you know it is a little bit obvious it gets away with it because it is so sweet and wholesome even when it's really sad and bitter i mean it, there's so many lines I think I'm just going to be quoting from this film. Like one from the start of me because I'm not going to go into spoilers is one where he says, I thought all the Nazis were hiding in Argentina. <laughs> I just burst my ass laughing at that. Um, it's amazing. Uh, I think it's such a, a feel-good film. It's one that I definitely think I'm going to be throwing on Christmas going forward. Uh, I think this is one of Alexander Payne's best films and he's got a, an amazing filmography to begin with. But yeah, no, this is one that like, I was so overjoyed uh, when it got nominated for Best Picture this year because it's like, man, I think it deserves it. it. It was a, it's a nice alternative, um, and it's one of those films that, like, since it's kind of lighter than a lot of the films, a lot of times that's one of the few benefits of the Golden Globes is they have like comedy and musical. So I was like, man, it could easily get pushed out mm. of the Best Picture nominees, but it didn't. No, and I think it's, uh, it's one that I think you could recommend to a lot of people, and everyone gets something out of it. It's, uh, yeah, it's a feel good movie, even when it's not feel good. It gets you there in the end, where you're just happy to have watched it. It's, it's really a joy to watch these characters. And uh, again, yeah, perfect for for Christmas. Unfortunately, they brought it out in January. I don't know why. <laughs> um, yeah, no, amazing stuff. Um, I like it's. I'll definitely be throwing it on into my Christmas rotation. I'm looking for. I'm glad we've got an actual classic movie you can throw on at Christmas because I think that's where it is. And for what it's worth, we're going to talk Oscars and we're going to have our proper predictions next month. But if there's one movie, like if you see stuff like, you know, Oppenheimer and Killers of the Flower Moon kind of eat each other's lunch and kind of take votes away from each other. If there's one movie that is in line for a CODA style run towards Best Picture, it could be this. Like, because this is a movie that nobody, I don't think anyone, I've heard anyone dislike it. And there's a good reason for it. For those who don't know, but a way around the plot and stuff like that, it's a movie about kind of losing and also never having. It explores kind of the relationship that forms when Paul Giamatti's grumpy, lonely professor is left babysitting children who are left behind in boarding school over Christmas, particularly Dominic Sess's wild child, Angus. Um, I very much like thought it was almost like, now, this obviously wasn't intentional. There was nothing to this, but it was like an FU to Paul Thomas Anderson's The Voice of Licorice Pizza, which for me, like it was a mic drop moment. It's like, that's how you make a 1970s cinema vibe. That's how you do it, uh, which I thought Licorice Pizza did, but it was very kind of try hard. You know what I mean? It was going for it, whereas this was very natural. It just felt like we were watching a great 70s movie that had just passed us by here um, without having to ever try hard or kind of do any gimmicks or stunts. Um, Alex uh, Alex Payne kind of deployed that familiar kind of grainy footage uh, that we're used to. It kind of takes you back to the type of hidden gem that you'd click in 
into like if you're flicking around the TV late at night at 2 a.m. and you just happen across this on Channel 4 and you're like, this movie is amazing. How do I not know about it? Um, And then you've got kind of just the retro kind of graphics at the start of the movie and stuff like that as well. Uh, you talked about the performances. Um, I liked Devine Joy Randolph. Um, I thought she did well. I thought like it's particularly in an Oscar season, she did all of the Oscar things to deserve kind of her nomination. And, and more than likely, it, she seems like the one nailed on actor for, to, to, to win her category. But for me, I thought this was Giamatti and Sessa's show here. As they had the biggest mm-hmm. kind of hills to climb, the biggest arcs to overcome, and the range they needed to tap into throughout. Uh, Giamatti in particular is wonderfully steadfast as the kind of like again we like pro wrestling and again it's one of those things where like the, the best heels and not to say that he is a heel um particularly as the movie kind of progresses because he has a nice arc um but the best heels are the people who believe thoroughly what they say and he believes in his biases so hard even the ones that are wrong or offensive they almost go with him. You're almost like, yeah, you've made the case and convinced me. It's, it reminds me of like Reservoir Dogs when they have the tipping scene and Steve Buscemi makes the point so thoroughly. You're like, I think I agree with him now. <laughs> um, but it's brilliant. The film is kind of in really interested though in kind of rounding out all of its characters uh, instead of kind of ever leaning into archetypes. Like it's not a high school movie, even though it's set in a high school with high school mm-hmm. kids, you know? It fleshes everyone out with a kind of soft, gentle strokes and never ever feels exploitative or awards bait. And that's the one thing that I feel like it never feels like it's trying to push and pull you. If anything, and the reason I'm a bit tepid on, on praising Devine Joy Randolph, she is the one person who I felt did kind of try to exploit me and make me feel emotional. Whereas I felt that the beats that I got and the mo- the move, like how I was moved by Giamatti and, and Sessa mm-hmm. was much more natural. And I thought it was much more soft strokes. Uh, meanwhile, the, the script itself is kind of gentle, but devastating. Like the, the one line, and again, I love scripts like this, where one line just tells you so much about a character. Like one character says to another, where it's like, you can't even dream a whole dream, can you? It was amazing. It was phenomenal. Uh, and captures so much in so few words. Definitely recommend it if you haven't seen it. It's a nice movie. It's not challenging. Go watch this now and add it to your Christmas rotation. It's great. And can I just say another way they really messed up not releasing this for Christmas was because I like re- liked a few things about the holdovers before Christmas. I got some glorious tweets coming up to Christmas saying things like, leave out a glass of Jim Beam and a copy of Meditations <laughs> for, Paul, <laughs> for Paul this this Christmas Eve. I was like, oh, I will, I will. But yeah, no, a joy to watch, absolutely. Amazing. Um, Tom, I have a question that I need to ask here because I feel like I'm being gaslit here by the <laughs> entire planet who are gaslighting me into thinking that Priscilla isn't terrible. I want to talk about this. I've got to get this off my chest. I, again, maybe it's because Sofia Coppola is directing it and everyone's like, she can't direct bad movies. Um, The adaptation of kind of Priscilla Presley's autobiography tries to be this like awards level epic. What? for me, fails badly to hit the mark. On paper, there's kind of a, a great ballsy... And I went in wanting to like this movie, and I think that's why I was so annoyed when I didn't. It, there's a ballsy movie here that kind of challenges the mythology of Elvis, which is one we only kind of celebrated in a couple of years ago with Baz Luhrmann and Austin Butler's biopic. Uh, and the story of how he kind of groomed Priscilla from the age of 14 is a fascinating one that many may not be familiar with. And even if you were familiar with the story and kind of the headline figures behind it and so on, seeing it play out to challenge how you feel about him. So again, I'm a big fan of that plot. The problem for me that's unforgivable here is that the movie seems to suffer from 
any kind of narrative vision or any kind of point to make about that. Instead, Coppola seems to be content. She seems to think that, right, I'm just going to put Elvis on screen. I'm going to put this juicy story. I'm going to put two strong leads with Jacob Elordi and Kaylee Spani on here. Um, who, by the way, Kaylee Spani probably never wants to wear a wig again after this movie. And I, I think they just thought that it would just sell itself. Instead, what I found it was bit of a highlight reel more than anything else that suffers from a kind of narr lack of narrative connective tissue and struggles to flow or connect to, to either of its characters. Like despite you being taken into their room, your, their bedroom, you're given an all access pass to uh, like Elvis's life. That should be fascinating, but you actually never feel like you know Elvis or Priscilla better. Like what did he want or what did he get from this relationship besides just being a bit controlling and what kept her there beyond the fact that he was Elvis. I don't feel, I feel these are basic questions to ask and the movie really didn't have any interest in telling us to just showed us more things. Meanwhile, there were just open goals for me left right on the table here. Like Lisa Marie is in this movie and they don't mention her once. And that feels mad because think about who, when you think about this story that they're trying to tell and you think about who Lisa Marie ended up marrying, Michael Jackson, for anyone who doesn't know, like even not mentioning her name, like even just saying her name, I'm not saying you have to make it really obvious and you have to go, I wonder if she's going to marry someone who will groom people. You don't have to do that, but like you can just say her name and kind of make us think that, but it just didn't have that. It's just like, oh, she's there. I had to look up on my phone. I'm like, is that Lisa Marie? Yeah, fuck, that's Lisa Marie. And what I'm discussing here is how I spent the movie, imagining ways that it could have been better or worked for me instead of just bumbling like a, narrative daddy long legs through a series of scenes from their lives without any kind of objective structure or momentum until the film just ends it just ends i haven't seen or heard any buzz or discussion or awards discussion about this since it's released at the start of the month but it got really favorable reviews upon release and i think is that a sign that like the world kind of you know, politely applauded for this, but then it's not really good or hasn't really landed. Or am I missing the mark, Tom? I don't know. What were your own thoughts on Priscilla? Am I being way too harsh on it? I, I would say it was a lot more positive and nuanced, certainly. Um, I, I don't think it's quite as good as people are saying. Certainly. I think again, the people like 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 balance. Mm -hmm. And I feel like again, you can't talk about this movie without talking about Baz Luhrmann's Elvis from a few years back. Um, because that was the kind of the big boozy over the top spectacle that was over the top, and of course that's a Baz Luhrmann film in a nutshell. Whereas this is basically a Sofia Coppola film in a nutshell, where it's kind of you know a slightly kind of possibly damaged young woman trying to make her way in the world, and all of a sudden she gets swept up into this big thing. And I feel like there's a lot of positives in this. Um, I I do kind of agree to a point that there's not really a clear idea of some of the answers of, of, of like, for example, I don't feel we really got to know Elvis. And I kind of feel like that's the film is trying to make a point of that, of like the, how well did she know Elvis? And again, like the kind of thing of him being constantly, it feels like he's constantly a presence in her, in her life, even when he's not there. And that's kind of pointed to him being kind of controlling, like those scenes where you really see that she doesn't get to leave Graceland's, she she's just kind of at some point is not even able to leave the bedroom and it does feel kind of claustrophobic mm. to the point where you can kind of see her perspective of what a relationship with this man would have been like that he is controlling that she doesn't really have a way out um and i think to a certain degree a lot of people are probably going to be disappointed that they didn't kind of come 
out and out say that he was this and that and you know um they kind of are more like make your own assumption of it and mm. i mean that's easy because it's pretty clear <laughs> what we're call- what we would call him now what yeah. we should be calling him in general is that he he groomed this young woman like and you know they there is a lot of other debate i mean i think the point you made about the, the lisa Marie and michael jackson one is an interesting point that i hadn't heard before you know um because yeah again lisa marie they, it's like hey i have a baby and that's kind of it um mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> and you know um it, it is worth pointing out lisa marie was very um outspoken about this film she was not a fan of the depiction of her father in general so i don't know if if that played a factor at all okay. uh who knows um now priscilla seems to have been a lot more positive about it because of course it's based on on her own memoir like but I think like it's a it's a very stripped down and naturalistic film, and I think it works best as a kind of a companion piece, to Elvis. But again, that's not excusing it as a film in general. I do think the performances are quite good. I did like Kylie uh, Spenny uh, in the role, even though yeah, it does feel like she's kind of lost in her own film at times. It feels like she's never kind of proactive, and I think that's kind of the point because without going into you know where this goes, I mean, I mean, look, it's based on a real story. We know obviously eventually she leaves Elvis. That's so that's. That's all I'm going to say, because that's real life, right? But I think that's kind of the point in that we're meant to see her as like, oh, this is someone who wasn't assertive or she was under the thumb of her parents and she was under the thumb of a, an older man and it took her long enough to build up the courage to eventually walk out. And I guess that's meant to be the triumphant moment. And I guess it would kind of seem a bit more of her kind of develop over the course of the film. And that's what worked with that performance. But I do kind of feel why, why people might say that it's not the most commanding performance or the most showy performance. And I think people will say the same thing of Jacob Elordi's Elvis. He is very, you know, subdued at times and then psychotic at other moments. And to a certain degree, he's like, yeah, that's that's probably what Elvis might have been like in his quieter moments. He Like controlling, not like the, the always on, like over the top showman, possibly just kind of controlling and wanting his own way. And when things don't go his way and he gets everything he wants in his professional life, Maybe when he gets back to home and his personal life and he doesn't get what he wants, he would fly off the handle. Yeah. Um, I think it's a film that had a, a lot of a lot of potential. I'm not sure it always reached that potential. Um, and I think it's kind of, uh, the thing is, is it a story worth telling outside of the, the kind of gross aspect of he was a, a groomer. He, he took a child uh, at, a, at an age where it was totally wrong to do so. And had wasn't a a good husband when she was of age. Uh, but the question of is that a, a story worth telling? I don't know. Based on this film, possibly not. I do think it's a lot better than um than you think, but I also don't think it's as good as the critics say. So I kind of land somewhere in the middle. But yeah, I would say like again, possibly as a companion piece, Elvis, it works. Regard regardless of that, I mean, like the the big kind of question mark is why is there no none of Elvis's music is in it, which is going to put a few people off as well. Mm. So yeah, it, it's one I would say that. The generation who loved Elvis might like it. I was never that, that generation. I was never a big Elvis fan as much as I like Baz Luhrmann's film. I, I, I think it's one that you should watch, but I don't think it's one that is really as mind-blowing as people are going to say. And I think the fact that it's not really showing any presence in a lot of the awards categories is probably indicative of that. I think people want wanted to like this film more than they actually probably did. Okay, fair enough. Let's talk about a movie that I haven't seen, so I want you to bring me across. I haven't heard much about it at all, so tell me what you thought about The Beekeeper. Oh, my God. So The Beekeeper. Oh, this... Man, this is why I love January, because you get weird stuff like this, and it actually kind of works sometimes. So The Beekeeper is Jason Statham as a beekeeper. (laughs) Now, listen... 
he's both a beekeeper, like an actual beekeeper, and part of a secret organization called the Beekeepers. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, this is such a strange film because it's it does every single thing to make the bad guys unlikable to the point of they're practically tying damsels to the train lines like and it's so over the top they're like they're scamming old ladies Blah. you know it's ridiculously over the top and overly dramatic this is the most extra film i've ever seen <laughs> and what is great about it is like you know i can take or leave jason state the villains because let's be honest sometimes they're rubbish this was one where i went to be like all right I'll give it a go. And it was some it was one of the best times I had at the same time in January. <laughs> no way. Because it is so stupid, but it knows exactly what it is. It's just like, what do we do? Jason Statham needs to kick people's ass. Okay. The funniest thing about this is there's never any moment where he feels even the slightest bit vulnerable. <laughs> it, it, this is the closest I have gotten in years to like an old school 80s Arnold film. It reminded me of Commando. Like yes. and that's the comparison I'm making, right? Whereas literally He'd be like, I'm going to go in there and I'm going to burn this place to the ground. And then everyone's like, you can't do that. And he's like, hoo-ha, hoo-ha. and then he just does it anyway. There's no, there's a moment in this where there's this, a SWAT team and they're surrounding a building and they're like, okay, keep an eye out for this guy. No one get through. And he, I'm not even joking. This is not exaggeration. He walks into the middle of the SWAT team. They've literally circled him. And he's like, well, I reckon I'll go in that door and I'll do this. <laughs> Uh, and they're like looking at him for ages, and they're like, "Hey, stop that guy!" He kicks the shit out of him, goes up there, does whatever. Nobody can stop this man. The funniest <laughs> thing is he's part of this big organization, and it's and everyone that talk about knows about this secret organization. Is like, oh, you you messed up now. You've messed up Josh Hutchinson, who's like the most douchey, swarmy villain in this. That like again is so manipulative for you to hate. Um, they're like, you messed up, and then they're like, okay, well I've sorted it. Don't worry, we're gonna get one of his own after him. And you're like, oh, he's in trouble now. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's not in trouble. It's totally grand. Uh, he like kills one person and then they're like, ah, actually, we won't bother going after him again. <laughs> <laughs> and also, you might be like, oh, I guess like I was waiting for like the beekeeping theme to come into it. Like, oh, maybe like he's learned to be a beekeeper because the whole metaphor is like, oh, you see bees in the colony. They're a certain way. Ooh. And I'm expecting all the beekeepers to love bees. Nope. Seemingly, he's the only one that's obsessed with bees and also a beekeeper. Um, <laughs> like, it gets to like having any meaning is he like when he kills something he's like i'll do it for the hive i'm like <laughs> okay and also can i just say i'm not going to spoil this because it's a moment that needs to be appreciated when you see how high up the conspiracy goes you had to anything but just say all right they know exactly what they're doing it's hilarious <laughs> how like how high up the how interconnected this whole thing is and also you see how high up it goes in the world and how interconnected it is and it doesn't make his job any harder <laughs> he's take on anyone. It's like he's taking on the whole military and the whole world at one point, and he's just what's he got? He's got his fists and sometimes a gun. It's amazing. Um, it is such a. It is like the ultimate guilty pleasure movie uh, so far. It is a David Ayer film who directed Suicide Squad, um, and it's like yeah, he's out in a movie jail as far as I'm concerned. It's been a big. It's actually been a big hit. It's made over a hundred million. So I would I would watch so many of these. I would watch the Beekeeper too. Uh, the the buzz is back. Whatever the fuck they want to give to me. It's just. Back. It's it's such trash. It's so fun. Oh my god, I enjoyed it. Yeah, everyone should watch it, man. It's like, it's like, do you know what it is? It's a perfect Sunday movie. Okay, you know, like where it's like it's rainy outside. Throw this on. You're going to have a good time with it. I. It's it's if you're in the right mindset, like you're like no, I'm not going to say like this is like John Wick. This is like 
the 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 stupid John Wick for idiots. And <laughs> so, John Wick for dummies. And like as if John Wick was a high intellectual bear. Like in gas. It's so it's it's so much fun. It's so much fun. Okay, amazing. You've sold me completely on it. I need to go out of my way to see the beekeeper ASAP. Uh, amazing stuff. I love. I'm just like also as well. Sneaky worth mentioning. Like your Jason your Jason Statham is phenomenal, but there's still a hint of cork in there. So yeah, yeah, <laughs> like yeah. it's just oh, like. Can I? Oh, sp- speaking of accents, by the way, I don't know if he meant to be playing american at some point but like he's going around like his usual like oh yeah but i'll go over here and no one's gonna stop me here. and then one the, of our lead detective character goes there's a hint of british isles in your accent really is there love? oh yeah Jesus. <laughs> whoa amazing detective work wow. <laughs> you've got me um last movie we're going to discuss for this month is one that i definitely think people should go out of its way although for me it wasn't the movie that it was advertised to be that is all of us strangers um it wasn't the movie that i went in expecting to see and again it was one of these movies that i'm like i'm gonna like this movie so i'm gonna keep away from everything and just go in and watch it fresh and and watch it kind of you know without being the influence of marketing but you know what that's a really good thing i think most people went in kind of expecting it to be this kind of queer tour de force love story that centered on andrew scott and paul mescal and there is a bit of that in there but it's more of a kind of psychological character drama and a bit of a ghost story as well and even when I'm talking to people since seeing it I saw it uh, just uh, 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 on Monday past um, and talking to a couple of people I'm like yeah it's, it's it's not a love story there is a bit of that but it's more of a ghost story and people are like what the fuck are you talking about Um, but what I admired most about this was that seems like a bit of a head fuck but it really wasn't because it was really effortless how Andrew Haig, who wrote and directed, made this high concept adaptation of the 1987 uh, novel Strangers so simple and easy for the audience to understand. It should be complicated when you look at it on paper. You see Andrew Scott's character trying to juggle reconciling his past traumas with his now deceased parents, along with the emptiness of his day-to-day existence and a burgeoning new relationship with Meskel, though. But in practice... As soon as there's a scene, and I won't get into the plot at all, but like there's a scene where the penny drops. Oh, this is how they're going to handle it. Oh, and you get it straight away and you never look back. And they never overcomplicate it and never make it like sci-fi or anything like that or time travel messy or anything. It just makes sense the way the Hague handles it. And it's absolutely um brilliant it's really fluid it's so simple so you can instead focus on the kind of powerful healing conversations that happen throughout the movie as it operates as a sort of the only thing i could think of was like an elongated chair work therapy session um that it that it kind of felt like it places in doing so it places a lot of work on the cast and it was really interesting it's one of these movies that I didn't think about until the credits rolled but I'm like there was only six actors in that movie like it feels almost like a COVID movie um, at, at times as well but you don't realise that because it's so rich in character there's so much weight on the cast shoulders but fortunately they're more than up to the task you have the parents uh, Claire Foy and Jamie Bell who are both every single parent of that era kind of warm but they have hidden complexities and biases that kind of sit with the, that era while also being totally distinct and unique characters in themselves then you've got Meskel meanwhile who again is sneakily like kind of not a big deal in this movie but he's re- what he does he delivers he's extremely subtle but effective as strong's lover even if his character is kind of tangential to the plot itself 
but it's Scott who carries this movie on his back. He is phenomenal. I talked to someone the other day who's not a huge Andrew Scott fan, and like their argument against it was he doesn't have range. And I'm like, watch this movie. I'm like, watch this movie and tell me he doesn't have range. Like, I get it. He's Andrew Scott and he's Andrew Scott and everything he does. But like, he's he's every aspect of Andrew Scott imaginable in this movie. And he is phenomenal. Um, It's a, it's a performance that all of us are going to kind of connect to on some level. We've all been Adam at some sp- stage of our lives, even if the specifics of the circumstances differ. He's at all times trying to be giving the impression of togetherness like for others, while he's also kind of searching for healing. And then at the same time, he's totally vulnerable. He plays about 15 different iterations of this character in the movie. And it's all very, and it's all fascinating. I love this movie, but I will give kind of a warning on it. Don't be surprised if you go in expecting this epic love story, which is why I'm kind of positioning it in this way and end up leaving a little bit traumatized, sad, and a bit misled by what you actually get. And that isn't Haig's fault. It's more how the movie was marketed. He told the story that he meant to excellently, and you can feel how personal this is to him. There's a couple of great interviews where he talks about kind of how he didn't write it with any actors in mind. He just wanted to connect himself to the plot and how he'd retell his story. Um, But it is worth noting, and I get why the marketing team are like, oh yeah, it's basically Brokeback Mountain, but with like these two sexy Irish actors. You know what I mean? I, I get it. Um, but it's not that movie. And for me, it was all the better for not being that movie because we've seen that before. Uh, what were your thoughts on all of us strangers? Um, yeah, this is actually an interesting one. Again, don't worry, I'm not gonna ever mention the Cork Film Festival again because <laughs> because I saw <laughs> I saw that, that there won't be any mention again until next year, okay. <laughs> um, but yeah um this was also one i saw when it was at the film festival and i haven't seen it since i was not seeing it last weekend but i wasn't able to um so i'm basing it on what i thought in november uh, and i'm just going to say something that the director said in the intro to the film he did like a video intro and i think it's because it, it's interesting a lot of people are confused about what what this film is and i'm going to get to what you said in a sec because i definitely agree with it and he basically says the film is basically like what if you could have a conversation with your parents at the age you are now when you're both the same age and I was like, that's really interesting. And when I saw that, I was of the same opinion you. I, I bought tickets to this because I didn't want to know what it was about. I just knew Andrew Scott, Paul Mescal were, were in love in it or whatever. I was like, oh, relationship drama, cool. It's not that. <laughs> it, it, it's that or, or it is that, but it's so much more. Um, this is such, um, I think it's a really great film. And I would say what you said as well of, of feeling maybe shortchanged initially is absolutely how I felt. When I first started watching the film and realized it wasn't that, I didn't know how to feel. Uh, I had to sit with me for a while. Uh, and now I think it was one of my favorite films I saw last year. Um, there's a lot of deep stuff in here for a film that is in many ways so shallow. It is a very human story and it's a very simple story. But it's all about trauma and grief and how things that kind of maybe happen in your past can affect your future. Uh, and your relationships in general it's got a, a really cool soundtrack uh, in a good way um i think always on my mind is one that a lot of people are, are going to single out based on this it's it, it's been used in marketing as well but it's something that really kind of becomes haunting as you watch the film i think it's got a real underrated cinematography to it as well like it's a very simple film the way it looks there's a lot of shots where it's just static camera but like some of the weird lighting in it there's really trippy visuals at times that kind of adds to the unreality of some scenes in the movie. There's some horrific cinematography at one scene where I was genuinely like, 
oh my god this is something that we we all see with our eyes normally but I, all of a sudden i was like oh like the distortion of a mirror just made it horrifying and yeah it's it's one that can't help but kind of make you feel really emotional and sad um in a in i suppose a nice way uh but also kind of make you grateful for what you have in your life as well uh the performances are amazing um i mean obviously our two leads of andrew scott and paul mescal amazing uh, especially they have such great chemistry and i agree with andrew scott uh when i got that i haven't i haven't necessarily seen a lot of andrew scott to be honest i've seen him in you know the bond film i've seen him in uh as moriarty but i haven't seen like fleabag which was a big one for him i haven't seen him in a lot of other stuff so here i was like oh man this guy this is a guy who should be like lead in a lot more movies because it feels like he kind of is someone who can have big supporting roles or can have lead, big lead roles in maybe a tv series but you never see him in like a kind of a role this prominent you know um in in films so i was delighted seeing this and yeah he absolutely was outstanding at it and it's a shame just got totally kind of locked out of the oscars um which was really a surprise i could have seen it get a best adapted screenplay not at the very least but yeah these these are great performances that i worry will be overlooked now because uh, of the lack of awards center but yeah it's it's a great one i also would say if you're a big fan of scrubs <laughs> there's this might remind you of one particular episode i'm not going to say anything else but when you see the movie it might make more sense <laughs> that's all i'm going to say okay but yeah no this is a great one definitely one we're checking out uh, i will challenge you uh, again go in as blind as you can because that was the way i experienced it and it's the best way you can appreciate this one i think you're on mute sorry i was on mute there um Good. we mentioned this getting locked out of the oscar race and we're at that time of the year where we're in award season silly season for many uh, reasons, because again, look, I just want to put this out there. Awards are silly by default. You know what I mean? They are made to essentially, look, they give us chances to put celebrities in rooms. They give us chances to get headlines and stuff like that as well. We had the Golden Globes take place. We saw uh, the, the the host whose name escapes me at the moment. He absolutely died on stage. Poor chap. I actually felt for him. Um <laughs> But like then you had the Timothy Chalamet and uh, Kylie Jenner show as well. Like that's why we watch award season for like the goths, the scandal, and this and that and the other. Um. So again, like look, we'll take that into account. But when we get down to the awards, they are inherently silly. They are more designed to piss us off, apparently. Um. At, at kind of certain things. Um. Then to actually, you know, honor the movies that 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 they're supposed to honor a lot of the time um so what we're gonna do is obviously we're gonna have february at the movies that's gonna come out just before the oscars so we're gonna save our oscar predictions for then and we're gonna give you kind of our tips for what's gonna succeed and what's not um what we're gonna do now is we're gonna talk about we're gonna have our oscar rants to finish the show and we're gonna talk about what's pissing us off about uh this year's oscars uh, and it, what has actually got up our skin i did this last year where i kind of spoke about how the banshees of inner sharon had totally eaten the quiet girls dinner um wasn't nearly as good a movie but again like kind of there's always one thing we want to get pissed off about i'm gonna get us kicked off here with this one and i'm gonna rant just about the oscars and their status as the most prestigious award ceremony on the planet in general that needs to end okay we need an international equivalent to this because it is ridiculous at this stage when you look at what they do and no i'm not talking about let's pay more attention to the usually nonsensical bafta awards who kind of continue to be that weird hipster kid who's like i like the alternative things because my tastes are really cool um no i don't i'm not saying we do it with the bastards i think we need to invent a brand new 
worldly award ceremony that's free from biases and politics and campaigns and all the things that make the Oscar season. I'm not saying get rid of the Oscars, but that make it so annoying because that's kind of the pinnacle of movie awards. What pisses me off here is the Academy this year patting themselves on the back for nominating a whopping two international movies this year for Best Picture in Anatomy of a Fallen Zone of Interest. And, like, I'm sorry, but this is what's infuriating for me. Hollywood, I'm just going to come out and say it, is not where all great cinema gets made. It is not even where the boundaries of cinema get pushed. And it's infuriating that it continues to sit there and pat itself on the back while almost being charitable towards much better quality and standard of movies that are pushing filmmakers um, outside of Hollywood and that Hollywood are essentially co-opting the filmmakers from. And essentially at this stage, like, and there's been so many parodies made about it and there's been so many kind of jokes made about it, but it's still the same. You know the type of movie that's going to get nominated in the best picture category and it's not necessarily the best picture of, of the year you have an actor doing something physically demanding or you have a subject that covers either racism or persecution or you have a sweeping biopic or you have a director or actor who hasn't got the correct credit they deserve and I'm just sick of it I'm bored of it this is fucking boring it is the same shit over and over the thing that makes movies boring is watching the same shit over and over we need to get creative and i want to look back on the past few years of my top 10 lists in this decade and see how many fall outside typical hollywood playbooks so we're looking at movies that are either made internationally outside of hollywood or are mainly uh star non-caucasian prototypical hollywood cast so in 2023 i had five movies you had close anatomy of a fall past lives roy lane and marcel the show which she was on in 2022 i had seven movies my entire top five could fall into this criteria you've got everything everywhere all at once you are not my mother at the quiet girl or, or, or decision to leave which are, by the way that is my top five for the, the previous year and then in, rounding out in the top 10 you've got a hero and you've got titan and then in 2021 i had two which is drive my car and another round and remember 2021 which was on the lower end of those was a covid impacting year which affected a lot of the releases but even then what looks like a low year for me is what the academy considers to be a diverse one this is what we need to be enraged about this year. We've done Oscar so white and that did deserve to be done. We've done Time's Up and that deserved to be done. But look, can we put pressure? Like, I think, no. Do you know what? We can try put pressure. I was about to make a plea here, but I'm just like, it, there's no point. We could put pressure on the Academy to diversify their palettes, but at a certain stage, we just need to accept that this is Hollywood telling us who exactly they are. We need to celebrate great cinema outside of the norm, not by way of criminally undeserved like international film category where it's just like, oh, here's all the foreign movies. Not just by packing it into that and then not giving that much publicity, but by holding award shows to task if they don't acknowledge the best movies, which is literally their one job. I'm sick of it. I'm so annoyed that the best movies aren't getting recognized. And that not only what pissed me off about this isn't just the best movies not getting recognized. That's just part of the Oscar experience. What annoyed me here is how proud the Academy are, are of themselves for nominating two out of 10 that weren't Hollywood movies. It's an absolute joke. Tom, <laughs> whew, any thoughts or, or what you're what No, you're... I think you're dead right. And yeah, it's like about time. <laughs> Okay. You know, I mean, it's always that best international feature category has always been kind of like, oh, so 
you can be the best film, but also, yeah, you're international. You don't get really. It's like, what's the point? It's meant to be best celebration film. And I do want to just quote a, a man who would know a lot better than me. Bong Joon-ho, who directed Parasite, has a quote that I loved, which I believe was when he was accepting was it a Golden Globe. He said, once you overcome the one inch tall barrier of subtitles, you will be introduced to so many more amazing films. Yes. Boom. Said it better than I ever could, you know. Nailed it. Now, I what, also what are your thoughts? You're, you're what, really, what's you're really attacking, <laughs> you're really attacking the Oscars, and apparently wants to come to the Oscars defense. Okay. Because you know, as a former Oscar winner, um, you know, what <laughs> I want to say is this, okay, and also looking like an Oscar in real life, um, and I want to kind of reflect on people's anger about Barbie. Okay. Now, if he's like, I know we can never escape Barbie anytime we're talking. We're like, what about Barbie? You and me. But um, it's like the, the Joker and Batman. We're destined to do this together, you and I. Uh, forever you and I. So everyone's kind of annoyed about best director and best actress, Greta Gerwig and Margot Robbie. And I I kind of feel like that's a shame. Obviously, they are the two primary female voices that made this film happen. But I also kind of feel like it's the fourth most nominated film this year. You know? Um, does it re was it re-deserving? Like not everyone can get nominated. You know, the fact that a Barbie movie is nominated for Best Picture is amazing to begin with. And I kind of feel like there's an uproar just because it's the film everyone has seen. Mm. And it's like, you know, are we really saying that th she's deserving of the Best Actress nominees? There's some amazing actors in that category already. I, like, I would have liked to have seen Greta Lee for Past Lives. She's not there. Yeah. You know, there's lots of other nominations. And it's kind of like, to those people, I just want to say, you know, see more movies. <laughs> but I also, <laughs> at the same point... Also want to attack the Oscars because they've nominated what's clearly not a real film. Niad, Niad, Niad. What is it called? <laughs> Annette Benning and Jodie Foster, whatever it is. Okay, they're in it. Like, look, this is clearly them just going, hey, how has Annette Benning been nominated so many times and not won? Uh, I said, oh, fuck it. What, was she in something? Yeah, I'll give it that one. Jodie Foster, ah, we haven't given her an award in a while. Go on, throw her in there. That's not a real film. Come on. No one <laughs> believes it. No one has seen it. It doesn't exist. You can tell me it's on Netflix, but I know what happens when you try to press it. <laughs> Nothing. It doesn't work. Title not available. Absolute bollocks. Come off it. This is just the off. This is the pretentiousness of the Oscars I can't stand. The Oscars can be pretentious in general, but I cannot stand when they just go, what's a film no one will have seen so we look like we see every yeah, film yes, that is yes. what this is it's ridiculous <laughs> what is it about a swimmer or something shut the hell up like, <laughs> like it's so stupid no one has any interest in seeing the film most of the people I've seen it have been like yeah it's alright but of course they have to just be like oh well oh, oh you haven't seen the ad oh well <laughs> that's why we're the academy is it is it really because you make atrocious <laughs> decisions like this one you know what I take it back put Margot Robbie in there instead of fucking whoever was nominated for that film that doesn't exist nonsense <laughs> I mean at the same point they nominated Godzilla that's pretty cool <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but other than that but other than that get the hell out of here this is why Oscars don't matter <laughs> <laughs> having said that we will be back next month to predict the Oscars because look, oh sorry yeah the Oscars are amazing we, are, yeah, no. we love the Oscars uh, <laughs> I like to win money on them because they are predictable so I guess it's, it's valuable from that standpoint guys that's all the time we have for uh, this month at the movies uh, Tom uh, next month we're going to come back and discuss all of February's releases is there one movie that you're particularly looking for to you and I'm betting that it's probably the same as mine but it's hmm, there is some good stuff in February I will say there's a movie coming out in February I just saw last night as preview screening and that's the Iron Claw yeah that I'm, exci that I'm excited to talk about okay. uh, especially be with uh, with someone who's a fan of wrestling although I also want to hear how people react who are not fans of wrestling <laughs> because yeah. I'm really curious I'm like do people know this story uh, but aside <laughs> from that 
and there's a kind of a car crash element. I'm kind of excited for Madam Web. <laughs> okay. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Madam Web should be interesting. I'm looking forward to the Iron Claw. And yeah, I think we'll have a lot to discuss uh, on that. So yeah, very exciting times. Uh, Tom, you've got a lot going on over on uh, in the Popcorn Pod world. What's going on and what do you want to plug? Oh man, so much. Um, So like, yeah, we've been talking about awards nonstop. All awards are stupid and pointless, but I'm the only one who puts on an award ceremony where I'm aware of that. And the award <laughs> ceremony is for, because it's so stupid, I'm giving awards to movies that haven't even come out yet. <laughs> it's a film preview. That's the joke. Um, I'm previewing every film coming out in 2024. I genuinely say this and I do not do ad bluster. This is absolutely true. And I've yet to see someone point it out. I think I do the most complete film preview there is. I am previewing over 100 films wow. this month. Um, it is going to hopefully be out soon once I get to editing it. Uh, aside <laughs> from that, Pop Cult Pod on all socials and on YouTube. I have more stuff coming up uh, on YouTube very soon. And on my socials, I've said Movies and Milk, which is like short form reviews that you can find all over the place. So yeah, anywhere uh, you see Pop Cult Pod, you're guaranteed quality. See of approval for me. I'll back that up though Loads of exciting stuff happening uh, Tom always busy and always entertaining Next time on page 180 next week We will have Kento back he's going to preview The Super Bowl and we're going to catch up on All things Six Nations but uh, that's all We have for this month at the movies Tom thank you for joining us uh, uh, Subscribe to Pop Cup Pod on everything If you haven't already always entertaining We'll chat next month uh, but until then This has been page 180 and honey I don't know your life.